Hey kids, welcome. It's episode four. You join me once again in the Milking It Library. I'm just uh, chilling out in my chaise long while sipping a brandy and sucking on a fat Cuban. This week we uh, chit-chat about all sorts of stuff, really. Uh, plus uh, my f- top five wrestling matches. Uh, we talk about the Flashpoint comics. And more importantly, we talk about the greatest game of all time, GTA Five. So, enjoy and uh, thank you for downloading. I've got the Welcome to episode four of the Milking It podcast, the podcast that tugs the teat of popular culture until it explodes all over your face. I'm David Davis. And I am Boo Lamont. And welcome back. Here we are. It's been a while. We're back in style, <laughs> like the chipmunks, in fact. Um, so basically what's happened is I've moved house. So I've relocated to what I glamorously now call the Dave Cave. Uh, and this will be my podcast set up from now on. It might sound a little bit echoey because there's a distinct lack of furniture. If you can imagine, the first thing I did was rush to plug in the microphone and get back on board. So uh, hopefully uh, coming through loud and clear to you, Boo. Yeah, no, perfectly clear, Dave. It's good, it's good to hear your voice again. Excellent. Indeed, indeed. So uh, here we are. It's the Milking It podcast, episode four. Episodes one, two and three have done extraordinarily well. We're really, really proud of it. Uh, There's been uh, over 2000 listens in the month of September alone, which we can only say thank you for. So for all the guys who followed us on Facebook forward slash Milking It and have been uh, following our uh, not very, uh, well, not very full of information Twitter at Teat Tugger. Trust me, it will get better. I've worked out how to add extra things onto my iPhone so I can just switch between accounts. It's going to get amazing. Can you imagine the technology? It's a, it's a miracle of modern science, Dave, that we are back with episode four of Milk in It and um, lots to talk about. It's been mm-hmm. a long couple of weeks. And I'll be honest, uh, people, we've missed you as much as you've missed us. Okay, obviously one of the biggest things that's happened uh, while we were in the limbo period between episodes three and four was the release of what has become the biggest computer game of all time. It took a billion dollars, or was it a billion pounds? Billion dollars or a billion pounds? It took a load of money. It took a change. In three days of release. It sold out pretty much everywhere except uh, certain places that I know. Um, But it, it, it is being without a doubt, a cultural phenomenon. It's it's annoyed the Daily Mail, and it's made many males very, very happy this week. It is, of I've course... No doubt, I've no doubt that at least 90% of the people listening to this podcast now at home are mm. also playing Grand Theft Auto V. Absolutely. So that's what we're going to chat about, Grand Theft Auto V. Um, just to give you a, the scenario, I am about two and a half, three hours into it, so... I've kind of explored the world a little bit, so this is going to be potentially spoilerific for me, but we're going to try and keep the spoilers to a minimum as we talk about the phenomenon that is Grand Theft Auto V. So, Boo, your thoughts so far? Dave, I am 45 hours into Grand Theft Auto V. Can you tell who's got more time on their hands? I'm not sure. <laughs> um, phenomenal. Literally, um, it is everything that you expect from a GTA game. Yeah. Uh, GTA 4, the, the, it looked nice, but they stripped away a lot of the elements that made Grand Theft Auto San Andreas such a great game. 
all the elements are back and they're in full effect. Everything is as it should be, and uh, they have created what easily is the best game this generation. It's literally the generation has been worth it because of Grand Theft Auto V. Absolutely. I mean, this is what I was saying to, to people I was chit-chatting with about uh, the next generation consoles, and they said, oh, I'm not going to bother with uh, getting Grand Theft Auto because it'll be, it'll be coming out on that and blah, blah, blah. I think this game will stop more people from getting rid of their current generation consoles than anything currently going. Absolutely. Because it, it pushes it to the limit. You can tell by the fact that it's, you've got to do an install on it this time round, which I'm sure pissed a lot of people off if they'd only got arcades from back in the day or the four gig Xbox that exists. Hey, sorry, I've got to mention uh, my friend, a very good friend of mine, I rang him up. We were having a natter. I said, How's GTA? You know, how are you finding GTA? He said, I have got a two gigabyte Xbox. He's had to go out and buy a new hard drive just so he can play Grand Theft Auto. So it was a bit more pricey for him, but he's now played it and said it was very much worth the extra money. Absolutely. I think it's just it's one of those games that you'd kick yourself if you hadn't played it. I mean, I'm I'm not as much of a fan of it so far as you clearly are, uh, because I just haven't had time to immerse myself in it and, yeah. and really get into the world. I've, I've done the usual thing of kind of going off piste a bit. I've done a few of the missions. I've done my first heist, which was really cool. Um, and now I'm just, I, I kind of thought, well, do you know what? I want to go and play golf. I want to go and check out a bit of tennis. I want to go and do some yoga in the hills. Um, and just, I want to fly that motherfucking blimp, yo. Uh, so I've been uh, I've been diving around. And I, I'm not as big a fan of LA as I am of New York. New York, for me, is a spiritual home. It's somewhere I feel very, very at home in. I've, I've been there a couple of times. I've been lucky enough to go there three times. Um so for me, the last GTA was amazing because I could take that walk through Central Park that I had I'd taken. You know, mm. I could drive that in that taxi round those streets that I'd visited. I could go and see where WWE New York used to be <laughs> and is now the World Nightclub in Times Square. Um, so for me, LA, not a big fan of it, but I must admit they varied it up. It's quite, it's an interesting place to drive around. There's lots of random events. I must there seems to have been kind of more random events this time around than there was in the last game just, there's a lot more random events and there's also now good deeds dave i don't know whether you've seen these that on the odd occasion you'll be driving along or walking along and there'll be a blue spot here on your map yeah, yeah. and uh these are random events such as someone steals a car or someone steals a woman's purse or you've got to help someone in some way you've got to help the police out and i mean it really does break up um, the madness a little bit mm. um one of the funnier aspects was um i stopped a woman getting her purse nicked uh, handed it back and then went and robbed a gun shop so it's a complete uh, the, yeah. the complete uh, polar opposites to each other but um these new random events are fantastic i think for me as well um one of the things that, that really struck me was during the police chases obviously as a consequence of some of the missions you do you end up being chased by the police um was the fact that you don't have to just rely on outrunning them this time it's very much if you get out of sight and you wait it out. It's a bit like um, the comparison I read online, actually, was uh, a bit like Drive, the movie. If you've seen Drive, uh, spoiler alert. Um, it, it's that idea that you only uh, try and escape from the police in terms of driving away from the police when absolutely necessary. If you can find that hidden little spot to just hide out in a tunnel or a sewer opening or even a car park, if you get out the, 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 the line of sight, then if you're willing to just sit there for the sort of five minutes, that's it. Then you've done exactly what you need to do. And I think that's... That's a nice little touch of realism for me. That I totally agree with you, Dave. Um, I actually said that this is one of my favourite elements of the new one was you don't have to outrun the police. You get you get out of their sight and then you duck around a corner or to the side of a building. But I was taking it so seriously. I was turning my engine and my lights off and sitting there 
Yes. And, um, you know, you, you get really involved. And love the fact that you mentioned the movie Drive. This film, Drive, I have to see this movie because it's what inspired the game Hotline Miami. Mm -hmm. uh, Hotline Miami is basically Drive the Game. This um, was a, a couple of episodes ago. You mentioned this has been like your top tip for the year. Or, oh, um, the, in, independent game. It was um, Hotline Miami. Definitely for me is is the independent game of the year. It's not, but um, it's not uh, a big production like this. It's a top down eight bit style yeah. uh, killer map. But, much um, like the original GTA. Very very much like the original GTA. Um, I actually went back and watched a documentary about all the GTAs. I remember distinctly um when the first gta was available on the playstation because we didn't have yeah. a pc at my house back then um not the same controversy uh, i remember running over the harry krishnas uh, in the rampage that was on your way to get the game this is <laughs> my mum was a terrible driver um <laughs> no the, the, the i mean the fact that we've come on leaps and bounds mm. i mean what is it is it 15 years since the original gta came out uh, yes, more. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It's, 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 well, for, for me, the original "quote unquote" was the PlayStation Two third, you know, that's, third person. Oh no, that, that was two thousand one, Dave. I know there was yeah much more before that, but I had no clue about the game whatsoever. So I was, you didn't play uh, GTA London? No, no. I, I remember it. I remember the, the the packaging with the British flag behind it and everything else. And that I do remember that causing a stir because I remember the that being in. Um, in some of the newspapers saying, you know, this is outrageous and everything else, the usual sort of daily mail bollocks. But um, for me, and I, I tell you what, the, the I, <laughs> this is going to make me sound very sad. If you say it was 2001, right? Yeah, 2001 was GTA 3. And trust me, I've got some memories on GTA 3, but you go first. I'll, I'll, I'll bring up my memories in a minute. Okay, well, the reason I ended up playing GTA 3 um, was because I, uh, as you may have noticed, podcast milksters, as we uh, like to call <laughs> you, uh, as you may have noticed, I am somewhat of a wrestling nerd. Um, so I'm a huge, huge fan of the WWE games, even the, the bad ones. I enjoyed them. So I was waiting for SmackDown to come out that year, 2001. Just bring it. I was at university, just bring it, yeah. Uh, and I remember they... I, I was at that point obviously the internet because I'm such an old fuck the internet was in its infancy in terms of what you could find out you about need dial up Dave it was dial up there was that beautiful sound up. which uh, if I'm any good at editing I'll insert now <laughs> so that was the sound we enjoyed um so yeah so basically uh i, I remember buying uh, either game informer or game no it would have been game Ma game master or games master magazine. games master magazine there was game informer that was an american magazine yeah game Informer. it definitely wasn't game informer because i remember game informer for me was more when mortal kombat was around because it was the only one that ever published the uh sort of finishing move guide list yeah yeah there we go so uh this was a case of uh, right i everything that was in the magazines about the wrestling games i would buy just so i could see the, the screenshots of rhino or um, whoever the fuck so it was uh, rhino and tajiri that year and william regal they were the special characters that you had to go backstage to talk to to unlock dave i love that game <laughs> you i would I consider myself a wrestling nerd but i wouldn't have remembered that but yeah was that the one with the two escalators it was side? the one with the two escalators <laughs> so um I remember getting that and it just was, it was just another game that was mentioned in that same magazine. And I remember thinking, wow, you know, they gave it like nine out of 10 or whatever. And I remember thinking, this looks really cool. Actually, I quite like the idea of this. I'm, I might give it a go. So to fill in the time before the SmackDown came out, just bring it. Um, I, I, I picked up GTA three and without a doubt, 
a game changer of a game, if that makes sense. Uh, just absolutely amazing. My experience with GTA 3 is uh, slightly different. <clears throat> I just got my first flat and um, I wasn't because I didn't have the money for it. I wasn't gaming. I just what? started. Uh, it was round about then I started trading to become a professional wrestler. Mm. So that was kind of what I was focused on. And I just got my first flat. And um, some uh, a friend, uh, a mutual friend of a friend was going to come round and spend the evening. We were going to watch films um, because he just managed to get himself. I was told he just got a DVD player. So we were going to try this new format DVDs. Turned out he'd actually bought a PlayStation 2, mm. came around with it and a copy of GTA 3. I had not I wasn't even aware that GTA was was being made, uh, was still being made. So imagine my surprise when I sat down and started playing this game and I, you know, you're driving around and it said press triangle to get out the car. Mm-hmm. I mean, what do you what do you mean get out the car? Yeah. Is it not a driving game? You got out the car and you could walk anywhere. Now you've got to remember, up until this point, all games were linear. Literally, all games were linear. You were, you've always been hand-fed and told where to go. It said, you know, walk around, steal a car. The three, the three D open world sandbox game it, it was just, an alien concept, completely. At it that was point. shocking. It was shocking because, and then, um, I mean, we really took it to heart. I remember a few good evenings just driving around, parking up on a hill at night and listening to the reggae station, and you'd. Change. We were changing the lighting in the flat to match, you know, to match GTA. We were going mad for it. And I mean, I can't even. It, it was such a big leap in terms of video games from yeah. the linear games to, to to Grand Theft Auto 3. I mean, um, from the radio stations, there was always the radio stations in the originals. Um, See, I didn't know that. So uh, you might know this. The Laszlo character. How yes. long has that been around? Now, I'm not entirely sure. Um, Google. <laughs> now, as far as he ate, tap a tap a tap. Uh, he was introduced in Grand Theft Auto 3. Ah, okay, right. Okay, that, that's why it makes sense that he's... But, and I believe there's... I haven't got to it yet, but I believe there's a mission that involves him in this current one where you actually get to meet him. Yes, Laszlo presents uh, Shame or Fame. Uh, what's funny is Laszlo's actually a real dude uh, called yeah. Lucian Jones, and um, he actually looks like laszlo like as in the character um yeah he he he, he was the v-rock uh uh dj in vice city amongst yeah. others so yeah he's been in pretty much all of them um interesting character but again with the with the radio shows i mean again that was something that was completely new in terms of um it had real songs and mm. the, the radio stations in the older gtas they were just like country then you had a couple of generic made country songs this was the first time that they were using licensed music in that style. So, uh, and it became it became a big deal for people to have their music featured in a GTA game because yes, their so. sales went through the roof after it. I mean, I've always had the uh, the box sets. Whenever a GTA mm. game comes out, they generally do a box set CD with it. Um, I still listen to my San Andreas CDs to this day. He um, actually. It actually got me into country. GTA got me into country music. No, no, no other influence. It was only through listening to GTA San Andreas, mm. the the country station, that I became a little bit hooked on country music. If it wasn't for GTA, I would never have listened to country music. I would have mocked it. You know, it, it's a. If you're not into it, you think country music, redneck, blah blah blah. I mean, GTA is such an influential series that it's actually influenced my taste in music. 
Absolutely. I, mean, I think that's it's, it's a pretty big yeah, deal. So completely. I mean, all I'd say, flicking back to to the current game, is that personally, and I, I haven't played it nearly as much as you, is that the the radio stations don't have enough content on them this time around. I, I don't know whether it's just how I've ended up playing and everything else, but I just seem to, because I always listen to one, I always pick like my favourite station. I think, you know, it's, previous years it's been pop and this, that and the other, but this year it's the Rebel Radio, it's the, the Country and Western Station, because I think the adverts are the funniest and just every little track they play is just perfect. But I'm sorry, I seem to have heard the same song over and over again. Willie Nelson plays pretty much every time I'm on there. Um Johnny Cash, there's a Johnny Cash track that they use. Um, uh, the General Lee day. General Lee, yeah. Um, <clears throat> you know, and that to me that that's a bit of a, a letdown is when you constantly hear the same song. I know when I flick through and been onto the pop one, Jesus Christ, if I hear Saturday Night's All Right for Fighting one more time, I'm liable to throw my uh, two broken Xbox controllers through the wall. But um, you know, that's that's my only criticism so far is there doesn't seem to be enough music on there. There comes a point. When, yes, I understand this is the rhythm of the night. I've already heard you say that so many times. Mm. But, um, no, totally agree with you about the music. Um, it's, it's probably not... a good way of judging a person's character as well as to what station they automatically tune into. Uh, GTA in general, Dave, is a good uh, is a good indication of what someone's like. I actually had a chat with a friend of mine the other day. Um, he said you can tell a lot uh, about someone from what they do in Grand Theft Auto. Mm. We have a friend who comes from a rather rich family. He's a musician. The first thing he did was buy, was make sure he had a garage and tried to fill it with cars. So right. that's the collector in him. For me, uh, the, as soon as I got an apartment, I spent a lot of time in the apartment watching TV because I'm a bit of, I'm very much in, I'm an architecty guy. I actually like in, you know, um, flats and uh, buildings. So I'm kind of into that. So for me. Um, hanging around Michael's house and then uh, minor spoiler later on in the game I don't know whether you're here yet Dave um, Franklin actually gets a really beautiful apartment um, no I'm not but I'll just cross that off spoiler. okay <laughs> that's coming up Dave uh, you get a you get a really nice posh flat and mm. um, I, I it's strange to say that I do this in a game but as Franklin what I would do is I would uh, stand outside on my balcony and I would just look and you know take pictures and uh, it's for me that is the dream is to have a big flat in the city overlooking the city at night and i mean i'm very romanticized about stuff like that but for mm. me um you can tell a lot about a person so um, if, I, if i've been driving <laughs> around having sex with prostitutes and shooting old women in the face what does uh, that say but, um so yeah what i'd also say was that uh, for me it, it, it's been very exciting the, the current one um but i really really can't wait to see what the online is going to be like Totally, Dave. I was about to say um, October the 1st, mm. um, GTA Online goes online. I'm very interested to see what it, uh, what, what they do with it. I want it to be so much more than death matches, and I know that there is. Yeah. Um, but... uh, did you see the, uh, the information that went online yesterday that someone's seen in the website that there's microtransactions involved this time as there well? Is, you can, pay, uh, you can mm. pay real money for in-game money. I'm not sure how I feel about that. But I, I understand it's a necessary evil. It's just that's what happens nowadays. You know, you do a game, then it, you know you're going to base it around microtransactions. Yeah, no, I totally. Um, I was about to say, but it's that's the way it's been going for years. If they want to keep mm. up with the Call of Duties, uh, who are now charging for weapons, yeah, you have to have the microtransaction. And I mean, it's something that's been going on for years. People don't always have time 
to like a big, great example is you and me. You're working like full time at the moment. You've mm. only put a few hours into GTA, whereas I'm between jobs, and I've managed to stick in a rather like you know about two days worth. Yeah. So um, you know, it is all dependent on how much time you've got to spend on these games. But um, I, with the, with the online, it's it's going to be persistent. So. You know, everything you do counts towards. Is it your crew? Your um... yes, I think it's is it up to sixteen people can play having a gang together, which is that's that's brilliant because for me, if it it gives you the opportunity to like, right, okay, we can either go and rob a bank or do you want to go and play golf? No, yeah, go on. (laughs) Sounds that sounds good to me. Let's let's go and uh, chill out and see what's happening. I don't remember. I don't don't know if you remember, but there was actually minor two player bits in Grand Theft Auto San Andreas. I'm going to say something really, really controversial now. Oh, you didn't like it, did you? I hated it. <gasps> David, I absolutely Davis. hated it. And I'll tell you what, right, the, the main reason why I was not a San Andreas fan, and I still own it, still own it on, in two versions. <laughs> so let, let, let's just chill out. Um, I didn't like it because, A, um, I'm deeply racist. No, um, A, <laughs> um, as, as, no, as, he's not. I'm he's really not. not. <laughs> um, a, <laughs> Vice City is my perfect gta i'm i'm an 80s i'm an 80s kid you're not the only person that prefers vice city because of the setting there is a big online community of people that swear that vice city is the pinnacle still it's just it it was just amazing i rinsed that game it's one of the few games I, i completed and then went through many many times again it was just everything about it was perfect for me san andreas I thought it was too big. It was it was a clumsy game. There was, there was just nothing about it that drew me in and made me want to play it more than a few missions in. I hated the BMXing. I hated the fact you got fat if you ate at a clucking bell. I hated the fact you had to go and work out, which is probably the reason why I look like I, I do. <laughs> um, just I, there was nothing about that game that made me want to continue and get further and further into it. That you know. very controversial opinion. However, you, you're not the only one. I, I do prefer San Andreas to, I mean, and obviously Grand Theft Auto V, in my opinion, now is the pinnacle of Grand Theft Auto games. It mm-hmm. is. However, San Andreas before was, and even when GTA 4 came out, I still was like, well, it's not as good as San Andreas. They've taken a lot out of San and uh, they've taken a lot out of GTA 4. See, no, for me, for me, I didn't care about the stuff they'd taken out because that stuff wasn't what brought me to want to carry on the game i wasn't interested in carrying on for me gta 4 was brilliant because like i say i'm a massive fan of new york i thought the storyline was compelling the acting was really good it was funny you could do loads of interesting stuff and and i played through that i downloaded the lost and the damned i downloaded the battle of the gay tony i enjoyed both of them the base jumping and everything uh, else was, to interrupt, was the best thing about gta 4 um i found i didn't find the characters the lead character johnny in the lost and the damned to be interesting when you had people like cj you know you had cj um mm. oh what was the what was the lead character called in uh, vice city dave oh tommy vachetti oh, there we go who was voiced by ray yeah. liotta and let's, let us not forget while we're mentioning vice city the wonderful dennis hopper who was brilliant as the director oh, character. Not, uh, oh, so many good uh, good um, actors and uh, the voice cast in GTA. To be honest, I think in terms of gaming, this is the most well put together project 
um, when you think about the Call of Duties, when you think about the Need for Speeds and all the other things that come out every year, yeah. GTA doesn't come out every year. They take their time. And yeah. you can see it. I mean, it's such a strange little thing to notice it in. But the other day I was driving behind a jet plane in Grand Theft Auto V. As you did. And, and you, you know how the uh, the heat makes the, you know, the image wobble? They even yes, had yes. that. I mean, that it's just the attention to detail. It's every little thing. You know, if you chuck something on the floor, it's still on the floor when you walk away from it. I mean, it's such silly little things, but it all adds up to make the experience that much more realistic and interactive. And I think what they've done with Grand Theft Auto is nothing short of incredible with, mm. with Grand Theft Auto 5. Just want to mention quickly before we move on to anything else that um, I love the way that this time they've gone to the three levels because you can now fly, you've now got ground level and you've got underwater. Mm. And um, the underwater part is is brilliant. Um it's mild spoiler, but if you buy the special edition uh, of the Grand Theft Auto, you've got the map and the blueprint. And mm. have you heard, I, I think I know you know this, Dave, but if you put a UV light behind the blueprint... Oh, no, not also... only do I know this, I have ordered a UV torch from Japan for £3 on eBay <laughs> so I can get the most out of my GTA yeah. experience. Um, not to spoil this for people, it's not really a spoiler. You can find this on the internet. It doesn't affect yeah. the game in any way but there is a place on the map which is very uh, hard to find if you're not using the physical map yeah, um yeah. you buy a, a little dock and you've got a mini sub and um on on the dock and th- this was one of my experiences where i was like wow i went in the mini sub thinking that you could only get out if you were above the water no, i accidentally i accidentally yeah. pressed the triangle button when i was underwater and got out in full scuba gear um to me, this was like getting out of the car for the first time in Grand Theft Auto 3 because it it, it doesn't fit with the MO of, of a Grand Theft Auto game, mm. but it's brilliant. There's um there's all kinds of collectibles under the water. <clears throat> there's uh you know, there's shipwrecks and all kinds of stuff to find. So it's just like another level that they've added um to an already amazing uh, bit. I, I, it's just the little things, Dave. Like the TV shows are all entertaining. Um, um, the films in, at the cinemas as well. Are just, in, in, just brilliant. Highly recommend the loneliest robot in Great Britain. Uh, Meltdown is. This is in the actual cinema in Los Santos. There's two cinemas. Um, there's uh, there's a kooky foreign film to watch, mm. uh, which wasn't very good. But Meltdown was brilliant. It plays out like a Leslie Nielsen comedy, and um, the loneliest robot in Britain. If any Grand Fifth Auto people are listening, check this, check these films out. It's definitely worth it. I mean, the, the Loneliest Robot in Great Britain is about 10, 15 minutes long, and it is as good as any short film I've seen before. It's um, all animated, really good. And I mean, it's just another of these interactive things that makes Grand Fifth Auto such a, such a great piece of gaming history. And I mean, I'm not expecting a Grand Fifth Auto as good as this to come out for at least another five years, and but I'll happily wait. Absolutely, I think like we said before, it, it, I've only played a little bit of it. You've you've clocked it, and you you know you're continuing to play it. The multiplayer, as soon as that hits the start of next month, is just going to be the biggest thing ever. I'm, um, I'm not even an online guy, and even I'm looking forward. My experience of online is Left 4 Dead, um, and a bit of Call of Duty, but I am genuinely looking forward to getting on there and seeing what they've got um, in, on GTA Online because it's it's a separate thing. I mean, there's a people are actually. 
there's some people online who are kind of cross. They're like, oh, it's ridiculous that it's not launching at the same time as the main game. Not Maybe. at all, though. It's to do with the spoilers because it involves characters you don't get to meet until you've got to a certain point in the game. So they're giving people two weeks to go through the campaign and and, exactly. and get to that point. So, no, it makes perfect sense. It does make perfect sense. And I will defend Rockstar to the hilt about this um, online that it is the right thing to do. Yeah. It gives people, exactly like you said, it gives people a chance to get through the single player, to experience the story, which at the end of the day is what, you know, they've put the effort into, is the story. Completely. You know, you, you spend that much money, you employ that many people to create this amazing entertainment product. And, uh, and the last thing you want is people to ignore it and go straight on to doing their own thing online in the multiplayer. I think they've, they've been very smart launch it later you know if there's any problems any bugs it's all been exactly. you know got rid of and everything else so in summary i think we can both say we're big fans uh, i think when we do a little uh, our, our special list of the games of the year mm. uh, in categories i do believe that grand theft auto 5 will be getting a huge mention here on the milking it podcast dave it's something burnt yep Certainly is, but uh, decided to uh, destroy my Walking Dead. <sighs> work loads. The early editions of work loads. What are you doing, man? No, no. Robert Kirkman means nothing to me now, my friend. What? Yep. Uh, that's it. What are you? What are you burning? What is that you're putting on there? That's a Batman Incorporated. It's Grant Morrison. Don't worry about it. It's fine. Don't worry. Why are you doing this, Dave? That's what, literally, trust me, this is the warmest I've ever been in my entire f***ing life. Just, hang on a second. Just pass me that Alan Moore Watchman. Yeah, yeah, it's, a, yeah it's a, yeah, issue one. Yeah, yeah. Come on. Don't do that, Dave. Alan Moore will come for us. There we go. It's fine. Seriously, man. I, I have completely gone down the wrong path, my friend. Because I didn't realise that my life was based on the idea that comic books were cool. But yes, they are cool, boo. And do you know what's cool? 8oClockComics.com Because all these other comic books, honestly, I have been wiping my ass with pages from The Killing Joke. Because so that's what was in my comic. <laughs> <laughs> yes, I have literally been scraping the shit from inside the curvaceous moments of my asshole with pages from that comic book because I am a massive fan of 8 o'clock comics. I've seen what they do and compared it to what, to what I was into and, ah, oh, I've seen the light, boo. I've seen the light. You know what, Dave? After reading The Devil Dolls, I think you're right. 8oClockComics.com is definitely the way to go. Okay, as you guys know, uh, I am a huge Batman fan, and we're now going to have a little bit of a chit-chat about the Bat, and uh, first of all, I'll start off with something that I purchased on this very day. Um, I just started reading it, brand new uh, compilation of uh, one of the Batman Detective Comics series. It's the volume one of the New 52. Uh, it's called Faces of Death. Without a doubt, one of the greatest, and I'm going to swear now, fucked up storylines in a comic book i have ever read in my life i, I don't... Actually don't know this one dave so if you wouldn't mind reiterating what it's about for me and the milksters okay it is essentially a, a new take on batman and joker and their relationship between each other and there's been i'm only halfway through it but it, <laughs> it involves a, a character called the doll maker um 
So Joker has been committing these murders uh, across the past three years, it says. And the, uh, just about at the beginning of the book, uh, Batman has worked out that the Joker has been committing these murders and he's tracked him down. And he's started to get a little bit sloppy in that he's leaving clues, which Batman thinks are deliberate, that are drawing him into this particular point and everything else. So these murders have been happening and portions of skin have been removed from the faces of the victims in a sort of uh, bit like a, a kind of hush idea of... I was about to say, that sounds like um, hush because uh, although I hadn't read the comic book, there was a side mission in Arkham City. Yes, there we go. You've not read Hush. If you have, seriously... Um, I know, I know, I know. Is it it's the one of the greatest. Halloween Jim Lee's and hush and just I've his missed... greatest work. Yeah, no, I've, I've heard it's brilliant. I really need to uh, get get back up on my graphic novels. On a side note, Hush, every page could be a poster. It's just the most beautiful artwork in the world. It's Jim Lee, my favourite Batman artist. Absolutely amazing. But anyway, getting back to this, Faces of Death. Um, so, yeah, so this has been happening and these guys have been getting cut up and, and it gets to a point where... Uh, Joker deliberately gets himself captured by putting down blatant clues to uh, lead Batman and, and he ends up getting put in the Arkham Asylum, which, uh, as we know, is not a great place to be put if you're a supervillain because you're going to get out. Um, if only Gotham had relied on the death penalty, then uh, Batman would have been over a, lo a long, long time ago. But they don't. They believe in rehabilitation. So joker is taken he pretends to fall asleep the guards leave the room and this shadowy figure in the night comes out uh with a huge knife in his hand and makes the uh, some, uh, the uh the comment to the joker that uh, this is going to hurt but i'm the best in the business and he's like yeah yeah i know that's why i haven't killed you i killed your son but i'm not going to kill you because you're the best in the business and this is the doll maker this is this seriously fucked up character which i can't wait to see where it leads to so the doll maker at the request of joker removes the joker's face cuts the skin off the joker's face i don't know why i've not got to that i'm going to get to that soon but the joker has asked him to do this and the the most hideous image i've seen in a comic book for years is the sight of this face cut off from joker hanging on the wall with just blood everywhere and I know this ties into a, a character called Joker's daughter, which comes into it later on. And I just can't wait. But honestly, I was reading it on the train. I went to Birmingham today, uh, just milking it fans. That's where I live. Um, went to Birmingham today. And on the way back, I was reading this thing. I just, it is the, the definition of a page turner. So if you get a chance, check it out. Faces of Death. They just put the first volume in a, a in paperback. Um, you can get it now. It, it's Tony S. Daniel, who's done so many good things. And honestly, you will absolutely love it. it it's out of this world so far i can't wait to finish it i'm gonna finish it tonight but it without a doubt one of the most fucked up things i've ever read um just a little bit of interesting news has come up over the last couple of days dave mm. on the same night that marvel launched agents of shield mm. dc had a bit of an announcement themselves that commissioner james gordon is getting his own live action television series wow a live action as well which is i because all the pictures i've seen I, I i saw it on a couple of uh, sort of fan sites this morning has all got obviously pictures from the comic books on there i didn't realize it was going to be a live action that'd be very interesting no it's um it's being made by fox and right. it's been given the green light so it's going straight to series they're not they're bypassing uh, a pilot okay. but it doesn't need a pilot i mean just on that basis alone 
There are so many stories that could go, this is pre-Batman, you know. This isn't the first time they've done a live-action show set in Gotham that doesn't involve Batman. They actually did um, Birds of Prey. Birds of Prey, yeah, which I own on a DVD, yeah. Which, I'm probably uh, one of the must... few people that it does. I was going to say, I've never, I've only seen a couple of the episodes. It's um, absolutely rubbish. <laughs> is it really? Well, there you go, because I always kind of had an affinity for the Huntress. I quite liked her, um, mm. and I, I believe it's her, Black Canary, and Oracle. Yes, indeed. Yeah. If, in fact, if you like the Huntress, then you need to check out Hush. I, I know that she's in it as well. No, I've always I, I, she was one of the few female superheroes uh, growing up that I was a big fan of. There was her, Starfire. Um, there was uh, Wonder Girl, who was in the New Teen Titans. She-Ra, um, obviously. Only the He-Man She-Ra Christmas special. <laughs> of the sword secret of the sword was a absolutely brilliant and i believe you can get it on dvd now if you if you haven't checked that out milksters then uh yeah please do because that's that's one of the greatest things in the world uh, and he-man on a side note if you watch the 80s he-man now not the reboot from the 2000s which is still one of my favorites um you will notice how your mind has remembered it considerably better than it was <laughs> Um, I, yes, um, I remember talking of He-Man when they did a futuristic reboot in the early 90s. Yes, yes. Um, and that was kind when of... it was all set in space. Yes, um, mm. yes, indeed. Not great, nowhere near a touch on the original, but then the original was a little bit camp, wasn't it, Dave? I don't know what you're trying to say, but it was one of my favourite uh, <laughs> cartoons growing up. I was a massive He-Man fan. I now realise I transitioned from one butch, muscular guy in a cartoon to watching professional wrestling. <laughs> so it, it might, uh, yeah, this... what does that say about me? Um, <laughs> was it? So <laughs> we should have, in fact, we'll, we'll do this next week. And I'm saying this now, we will have a proper discussion about He-Man. I'm going to look back into it. Some of the great characters, some of the rubbish characters. I'm very glad you brought this up because recently they've just brought out a game on Android. And I believe it was on my phone as well. Yeah. Um, based on He-Man, uh, where you can play as He-Man and She-Ra. And I thoroughly enjoyed it. And it's really taken me back um, to thinking about He-Man. Also, Robot Chicken, which got mentioned in episode one or two, yeah. um, does a lot of He-Man gags. And um, especially with Molar, the attorney and dentist. Yes, I remember the Molar character. But again, we will, we'll discuss this next I, week. We'll have a yeah. proper chit-chat about the, the figures. Since, Dave, especially since they've just released DC mm. Universe versus Masters of the Universe. I read issue one. I didn't think it was great, but okay. I'm going to go through with the series just because it's such a great thing to chat about. So that's next week. We will be discussing He-Man and the Masters of the Universe. One of the things that, uh, I've also been watching recently, and one of the beauties of doing your own podcast is you can just chat about whatever the hell you like. And I genuinely believe that people will enjoy this. Um, was the Justice League Flashpoint Paradox, brand new animated uh, uh, feature from DC Universe. Um, but it also got us thinking about the DC Universe as a whole in terms of animated films, because uh, we were chit-chatting uh, while I didn't have internet and while we were waiting to do this episode. And Boo, you pointed out that there has been a hell of a lot of DC animated stuff, which is... Yeah. Has been as low- good if not better than anything that they've done in terms of films and everything else they really really excel when it comes to their animated features they, when it comes to the superhero comic books um marvel lead the way in terms of live action films however they are not got a touch on the dc animated universe this is where dc are beating out marvel their animated feature films are second to none and i mean just i've got a list in front of me of ones that i've seen that i thought were brilliant 
um, Batman, Superman, Public Enemies, yeah. Und- uh, Batman Under the Red Hood. Again, this is all the same cast. You've got Kevin Conroy, um, you've got oh, Michael B. Jordan, um, you've got Kevin McKidd, and um, a really interesting addition was Ron Perlman mm. in this new one as um, as Slade Wilson. Yeah, Deathstroke. Yeah, it was absolutely brilliant as well. He, he, he sounded perfect for it. And also, um, Joss Whedon's favourite, Nathan Fillion, as Hal Jordan. So, um, but yeah, loads of films going in. Um, All-Star Superman was really good. Um, I haven't seen that one, I must admit. Because I'm, I'm not a big Superman fan, I, I kind of avoided that. But, you, you know, it sounds interesting. Generally, with Superman, you're right. He's the Boy Scout, and I find him to be probably the most boring of the superheroes. Mm. I won't deny it. But, um, I mean, in terms of Superman movies, you've had Superman Unbound, Superman versus the Elite... All-Star Superman, and then you've got the Batman-Superman crossover movies, which was Public Enemies. Yep. And then um, the, the Green Lantern films were really good. Um, sticking with Batman, though, uh, I don't know if you remember, Dave, but in between film uh, The Dark Knight uh, coming out, they yeah. did a Batman film called Gotham Knights. Yes, yeah, that collection. It was, yeah. it was an anthology, mm. um, and uh, they had an, a Japanese animated one, and... They had a couple, but um, all of these come under the same banner. It's in the DC Animated Universe, and they have got the jump on Marvel in terms of filmmaking. And this new one, Justice League Flashpoint Paradox, really interesting because uh, it was the first one with a post-credit, which we will discuss in a minute Mm. uh, what that leads on to. But tell me a bit about Flashpoint Paradox, Dave, because I thoroughly enjoyed it. Okay, so the the Flashpoint uh, series of comics uh, were done by uh, Jeff Johns and Andy Kubert, two very very famous people in the world of, uh, of the comic universe. Um, they presented an alternative version of everything that was going on currently in the DC universe. They turned it on its head. They made everything completely different. It was just a, an interesting idea that uh, they've used now as a get out clause many times when they want to go and do a completely different story. So if you want to go and uh, read Gotham by Gaslight or things like that, they always say, oh, yeah, it's happening in a different universe. There's many the elsewhere novels, Dave. Yeah, completely. It's that whole idea of, you know, uh, we can get away with it because it's at the end of the day, a comic book. We don't have to be tied down by being in this this world. Some of those elsewhere novels were fantastic, Dave. You mentioned Gotham by Gaslight. Mm. Uh, Crim- was it uh, Crimson Rain? Was it? Yes. There was oh. Dracula Batman crossover. Perfect. Yeah. Um, there was the, the Frankenstein one as well. Did you, did you read that one? It was very short. No, no. Um, oh, it was like I, I wish I could remember the name off the top of my head. I'm sh- uh, Milksters. If you can help us out, what was the Batman Frankenstein story? That's facebook.com forward slash milk in it or at T-Tugger on Twitter. Um, but yeah, the, the, those elsewhere novels are brilliant, and this the new Fifty Two mm. um, is just another great reason to mess with the mess with the DC universe. Very much like Infinity Crisis and uh, yeah, yeah. Crisis and, uh, on Infinity Worlds. Yeah, thank you. yeah. Um, I think it, it, so. What they've basically done with this is they've concentrated on uh, some of the points because it's massive. If you if you look at the Flashpoint comics, then there's just so many. It's, it's it's a tomb in itself. It's huge. So what they've done is they've concentrated on the Barry Allen uh, Flash. Um, so it's it's looking at his side of stuff, but also bringing in some of the bits they did with Batman, some of the bits they did with Wonder Woman, some of the bits they did with Aquaman, which some would argue this is the only time Aquaman's ever been interesting. Um, Cyborg's involved in it as well. So the the basic of the plot is <laughs> we're in current DC universe at the beginning of it. Barry Allen is going to visit his mom's grave, obviously, um, obviously, but for those who don't know, um, 
the idea is that he became the Flash through various means, but it was all as a point of the fact that his mother was murdered. There was a break-in. Um, was it his birthday or his mother's birthday? I can't quite remember, but um, I think it was his mother's birthday, wasn't it? goes to lays flowers at the grave uh, yeah. for her birthday. Um, yeah, because sure. she was she was murdered on her birthday. Because when he comes to the house and it's all you know the the windows been smashed and everything else, it's the party scene that has been destroyed. Mm. So at the beginning of it, uh, he he ends up being uh, alerted to uh, <laughs> the Flash Museum, which always seems like a bit of a retarded idea. But yeah, so he has to go to the Flash Museum. Hey, Batman a... has his Batcave full of all the little bits and pieces. Yeah, but that's private. Do you know what I mean? He's not <laughs> private selling, museum. He's not, he's not selling a private tickets. museum. How pretentious can it get? I'm I'm drawn to the uh, original Tim Burton's Batman when. Uh, Alexander Knox goes hunting around inside Wayne Manor and uh, says, oh, where's this from? And uh, Bruce Wayne comments, oh, yes, it's from the Far East. I know because I got it from the Far East. Um, which was the only hint oh, that Tim Bruce Burton... wag. <laughs> Bless him. Um, so, yes. So, anyway, so he's called out there. There's been a break in. It's Captain Cold, Captain Boomerang, Heatwave and the Mirror Master. So some of the worst DC villains you've ever seen in your fucking life. If if what you're relying on to defeat a superhero is a fucking boomerang, then, you know, they are scraping the barrel, sir. For, for Captain ideas. Cold, the poor man's Dr. Freeze. <laughs> Mr. Hey, Freeze. Come on, Mr. Mr. Freeze. So that's his professional name well there we go yeah he, he was never that bothered about that he was also he always kept it humble i thought old victor um, why, is, why is the flash's alter ego sorry to interrupt but professor zoom that's not his alter ego that's no 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 his, arch arch, enemy. His, uh, his nemesis even you know he's mm. he's uh sorry he's he's polar opposite you know the the owl man to his batman or shall we say the flashpoint is professor <laughs> zoom <laughs> because essentially what i got from it is that the good writers and artists worked on batman and detective comics the other ones who sat around and went um captain cold um the mirror master they ended up on the other one so these are the same people that suggested that stone cold steve austin be chilly mcfreeze chilly mcfreeze <laughs> Ice dagger. Ice dagger. Brilliant. <laughs> so he's called to the uh, Flash Museum. He defeats the rogues, but then Professor Zoom turns up and uh, he threatens to destroy them involving bombs and all sorts of crazy shit. So basically the Justice League turn up. There's a wonderful shot at the beginning of it where Batman just bursts through the ceiling in that kind of Batman way he does. And yes, it's Kevin Conroy doing the voice. And any true Batman fans know that when you're reading the comic books, it's Kevin Conroy's voice he's, that is in your in my head whenever i read anything to do with batman you know the fact that the arkham city games got it got it right you know completely it'd be interesting to see how the next one works because obviously it's not kevin conroy doing the voice for for batman in arkham. Just, just to go off on a tangent do you remember when they first announced the new one kevin conroy said yeah i'm in the new arkham and then they he said um no i didn't mean the next game so I'm going to presume um, what this would lead on to is we were going to talk about um, the, the DC animated universe. Is there's an actual yeah. upcoming Batman um, movie, animated movie called Assault on Arkham, yes, which yeah. is based on the game. So I've got to presume that Kevin Conroy is taking back the mantle of Batman for this animated film. Well, what I took from it is that I think there's some cutscenes, as in a 
we're now taking you backwards that begin with Kevin Conroy because he did say he'd been working on stuff that wasn't to do with the main character in the game. So I I thought they might start the new game with with a bit of a sort of flash forwards, then a flashback, and was, mm. I don't know who knows. Who knows until until next month? We're not going to know. No, it'd be very interesting to find out. And uh, October twenty seventh, I think it comes out something like that. Looking forward to that one. Yeah, back absolutely. to the flashpoint paradox, though. Okay, so yeah, so that happens, and it all goes tits up, and it ends up with uh, the Flash getting um, a, a nuclear bomb explodes, and etc. Cetera, etc. Cetera. Um, and he ends up waking up in the. Um, in the flashpoint paradox basically he's he's gone into this alternative world and in this alternative world um we've got to a point where he ends up going to wayne manor and batman isn't batman well he is batman but he's not bruce wayne uh, in this alternative universe bruce wayne was shot outside the monarch theater when they went to see the mask of zorro and uh, as a result of it uh, Batman's father, Thomas Wayne, the surgeon, has become an alcoholic, gun-toting Batman. So it goes against everything. Bat- Batman doesn't it's use basically guns. basically the Punisher in Batman form. Yeah, and he's badass. He's got proper little hooks on his shoulders. He looks really cool. Um, but his mother has gone completely psychotic and become the Joker. So you've got, in this in this Flashpoint Paradox, you've got this female Joker who is so good. And I, I honestly wish they, they could have used that character more. I don't think she comes across quite as good as she did in the comics in, in the animated version, but it's still just a, a great I mean, twist to use. That is, a, I mean, that is a great setup for its own comic book. I mean, to have a husband and wife... Mm completely against each other as in hero and you know villain. Mortal enemies, such yeah. an interesting um but then that, that ties into that whole idea that batman and the joker have always been that yin and yang they need each yeah. other to exist and everything else that's the beautiful thing about it i think just like at the end of killing joke you know mm. fantastic yeah. fantastic killing joke which again they've, they've spoken about doing as a as an animated movie and uh I, I believe as far as i know mark hamill's gone on record and said that that is the only thing he would do as joker is either an audiobook version of the killing joke or an animated version of the killing joke if if there is any online petition for that get behind yeah, it get on it people I i'm would. sorry mark hamill the quintessential joker there's never been a better joker than mark no hamill. agreed agreed and that includes heath ledger or you haters yeah I'd, I'd say on on screen maybe in terms of films Heath Ledger I thought nailed it but I know you're not a fan of the, the, the you know the I, I, the, I thought the, it was a bit over uh, we talked about this now three episodes I'm not I wasn't such a big fan of the Heath Ledger performance not I just I don't think I was as into it as everyone else um again for me Mark Hamill's when I read uh, anything with the Joker in it, it yeah. it's Mark Hamill that's yeah, he's just got that wonderful voice which i'm resisting the temptation to do an impression of um so 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 while that's going on you've got that batman storyline there and uh the, the, the flash has come over and doesn't have his powers he's trying to get his powers back and he can't quite work out so he, he needs to recreate the situation um in the the lab and it goes all very frankenstein in fact it goes all very sort of young frankenstein but um it, it, it's, it's frankenstein <laughs> i ain't got nobody um so basically yeah so he does that and he gets his powers back and everything else but in the background of this whole story there's this massive war going on throughout the universe and in this universe you've got uh wonder woman uh versus aquaman i'm gonna say aquaman because it it's 
American, and that's how they say it, and it sounds cooler than no, Aquaman. 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 Yeah, fucking Aquaman. Aquaman, it? Right, so, anyway, so he's <clears> doing his thing, they're going thing. against each other, uh, there's a bit of a love thing gone on, he's killed someone's daughter, or whatever the fuck, but yeah, so they're battling each other. It's the only time in the history of the world that Aquaman has seemed badass, but he does seem badass, and the battles are brutal. They honestly just destroy everyone. There's people being shot in the face. It's like it's um i'm trying to think of a film i can compare it to it's like platoon out there in some of the battle scenes that all happen on the ocean and it's absolutely brilliant deathstroke absolutely wonderful in it the whole thing it's just perfect as as a as a comic book it was brilliant as an animated thing it was brilliant i don't want to spoil the ending but there's there is a, a point where he works out the flash how to get back and when he does he he kind of wins round thomas wayne and uh, he tells thomas about what batman is doing back in his world and everything else superman in it and i don't want to spoil that either but superman is not the superman you know he is not at all and but comes into his own and is absolutely wonderful and it's one of the few Ones I can watch and really enjoy Superman's character. But anyway, so yeah, he convinces Thomas Wayne that, that this is going on. He finds a way to get back and he gets back, but he takes a note. And this this one moment is the moment, this is without a doubt, the greatest animated feature that DC have ever done. Because, as I've mentioned, huge Batman fan, love the Batman character. He's the Dark Knight detective. He's the he's that stoic, solid figure that never breaks in the in the face of anything. The guy dealt with the fact that his parents died by going out on a crusade to clean up Gotham City. But this is the moment that brought a tear to a glass eye, ladies and gentlemen. He goes back. He finds Batman. Kevin Conroy's Batman. He gives him the letter. He opens the letter and he realizes it. It's in the handwriting of his father. You don't see what's on the letter. The camera pulls back and Kevin Conroy delivers the line. You're one hell of a messenger. And a tear rolls down Batman's face. Batman. Not just, ba- not just Batman's face. Not just Batman's face. I would, it was I a beautiful would moment. Challenge anyone to watch that. With one, not not, not get emotional. So yes, yeah, that's that's my slightly over the top review of <laughs> one of the greatest things I've ever watched. So you enjoyed it then? I absolutely loved it, man. And I, I know there's no UK release date set yet. I managed to get hold of mine via means that are necessary sometimes when you want to watch something that involves a Batman. Um, but if you can, definitely do because at the very end of the credits, Bully. Yes, there is a post credit. Which, as far as I'm aware, will lead on to uh, a new 52 movie. The first um, new 52. The first new 52 movie, indeed. Uh, hopefully they won't be the new Lobo, which caused so much uh, hassle for the DC guys a couple of weeks ago when they what unveiled... Lobo. Twilight Lobo. Um, Lobo Cullen, as, uh, as I refer to <laughs> Perfect. But yes, um, so, I mean, the DC Universe is going from strength to strength. Yeah. There's more films planned, uh, including the one with the New 52. We already mentioned Batman, Assault on Arkham. Um, and, uh, yeah, it just goes from strength to strength. Just a little side note uh, before we move on from the DC Animated Universe. If you guys have the opportunity to check out 
some of the movies, they often bring out what's called the showcase specials yeah, with yeah. the movies, which are just short based on characters that, you know, don't necessarily um, they could have an entire two hour film on their own. But there was a Jonah Hex one that was really good. There was a Catwoman one which came out with the most recent release, which was Batman. Um, it was a uh, Nightfall. Yes. Yeah. Um, but yeah, so. So there's so much going on with the DC animated universe. I mean, and this is before we've even touched on the classic um, Batman, the original animated series. In fact, me and Dave, we were talking about that earlier. Mm. Um, We were talking about Batman Returns and um, (laughs) and how good uh, a movie in, you know, that is a great Batman movie. But we were talking about Christopher Walken's character, Max Shrek. Mm. a completely original character never been in the comic book before and you bought my te- you bought something to my attention dave which i completely forgotten as a fan of the original uh batman animated series yeah for, from what i remember i could be wrong and i'm sure someone will, will pick me up on this but there was a character who was a lot like max shrek called uh, i think it was ferris boyle he was in the episode which is without a doubt the greatest episode of all time apart from you disagreeing with me um called heart of ice which always, is disagree again i like a cartoon that makes me cry so heart of ice uh, in the batman animated series uh was 1992 uh, it's all about the mr freeze character um but it brings some of the best writing you'll ever come across in terms of an animated show uh, it, it's just perfect and there's a, there's a wonderful monologue at the end of it and um, the, the guy who plays mr freeze who recently died um, just delivers it so wonderfully and so beautifully. I couldn't do it justice if I tried to recreate it. But this character, Ferris Boyle, was uh, very much like Max Shrek. It was that kind of corrupt businessman who wants to get his own way and everything else. But he was voiced by uh, Mark Hamill, who played the Joker. Um, and in fact, Mark Hamill played Ferris Boyle because of the way they ordered the episodes before he played the Joker. Um, obviously, as I'm sure you know, Boo... um mark hamill was not the original choice for the joker in fact he he they had already recorded three episodes with another actor playing the joker in the animated series before mark hamill stepped on board that other actor was tim curry oh do you see now that oh what a brilliant bit of casting though because tim curry's fantastic in pretty much everything he's ever been in and if I hadn't heard Mark Hamill mm. doing the Joker, I would automatically go, oh, well, Tim Curry would make a brilliant Joker. As long as it wasn't too English, you know, as long as it wasn't uh, uh, the same character from the Wild Thornberrys. Uh, <laughs> kind well, of thing. That, that was the issue was that the voice he was doing was very, very close to another voice he was doing on a Warner Brothers cartoon. And they thought mm, this doesn't sound quite right. And Mark Hamill went in to read for... Uh, a voice on heart of ice and they they also said at the same time oh do you want to read for this and he was like yeah yeah of course i'll I'll read for the joker part and everything else never thinking he'd get it and they offered him the part and it was uh, without a doubt one of the greatest things that he ever did for me i would much rather see him be the joker for the rest of the time than be luke skywalker because the joker has influenced my life more than anyone else you wanna milk it and you know Okay, so uh, last week you heard uh, Boo's controversial top five matches, which actually ended up being a top six, top seven. 
it was it was it was top six. It was a couple of weeks ago now, but um, I, I I thought I had a varyedly and very and fairly interesting list. Although I did mention the dreaded B word. Yes, Benoit, who will be clear from mine uh, for obvious reasons, but. Uh... <laughs> Yeah, I think so. So I'd like to present my top five matches of all time, uh, from what I think, not necessarily what everyone agrees with. But I'd like to hear your feedback if you agree. If you disagree, then uh, slap it down on Facebook. Go on, unzip and slap it down. It's uh, <laughs> forward slash milking it uh, or at Teat Tugger on Twitter. So. Uh, let's begin with number five. We'll keep it short and sweet, and I'll, I'll run through these and give you my reasons for it. So, number five, um, there's a bit of a history to it. So, back in 1995, let's, let's just hope most of you were alive at that point, so I don't feel too old. But uh, in, in 1995, there was only one way to get hold of ECW matches, and that was tape trading. So uh, I used to read, and I still read, in fact, uh, a really good magazine called Power Slam, which is a wrestling magazine that's been going for years. And there was an individual who used to write for them called Oliver Hurley. And uh, Oliver Hurley was also a tape trader, what was used to be known back in the day as a tape trader, who would basically do you uh, what we'd now refer to as illegal copies of copyright material. Let's be honest, they were pirate videos they were paul birchall's old gimmick in wwe they were pirate tapes they were they were pirates before pirates were cool our johnny zapp so um essentially uh what i did uh, at the time was i uh paid him the whatever it was 50p and uh he sent me a big list of stuff and i because i'd read about ecw uh and for me at the time uh 1995 i would be 15 work that one out uh so i, I would have been 15 and I, I was interested in something different wrestling at that point had gone a bit stale for me it wasn't that interesting if you look at the product in uh the wwe it was very much king on a mission. King yeah mabel, it was king mabel versus diesel at SummerSlam and all that kind of ridiculousness <clears throat> which yeah. just at that point and, and and the person i was that that wasn't something that i wanted to watch so i sent off for it and I, I i'd read and i was always a big fan from seeing it on itv uh, in the wcw of cactus jack and uh, you'll notice that mick foley features quite heavily in my my list but um i uh, i asked for as my first ever event and i remember arriving through the post i can see it to this day uh for november to remember because it reviewed really highly 1995 november to remember uh, reviewed really highly in power slam so got this tape through and um turned it on and the first ever thing i saw from ecw was donny allen um versus the broad street bully uh <laughs> who ended up being pinned by bubba ray dudley who was the ring announcer so that for me wasn't the greatest of all things so Oh, can I can on. I just can I just interject because you've just sent another memory buzzing through the Lamont brain. Yep. You're talking about your first memories of ECW. Yeah. The first thing I ever saw of ECW was Rhino gore the Sandman's wife, wife through a table. Through table. Oh, can you imagine that was a hell that of a bump. Force fed WWF because mm. that was all that was available to us. There was a there was one kid in our school who was into WCW. Um, and I befriended so him. Killed him. No, we, we, he was the new kid, and everyone else was into WWF. He was into mm. WCW. Um, so that was that was what I was used to. And when I saw the Sandman, 
his wife, uh, Laurie, Laurie get gored through the table by Rhino, I realised that I had just stumbled onto something which I would never see wrestling in the same way again, in a, in a positive way. There was more to life than Hogan, Yokozuna, Randy Savage. There was more to and wrestling. That's, that's not to knock Hogan. That's not. To no, knock no, no, Randy no. no Savage. It was just. It was an alternative product. It was which, different. Yeah, completely. It was just lit us on fire at the time. So, getting back to my list. Sorry. Right, it wasn't even the main event. The main event of November to remember 1995 was Mikey Whipwreck versus Steve Austin. Okay, which featured, without a doubt, one of the most offensive roll-ups you've ever seen in your life. Mikey Whipwreck pulls Steve Austin's tights so far up, you see the 316 ball bags. (laughs) Honestly, go back and watch it. It'll be on YouTube. It's it's one of the scariest things ever. Yeah, Steve Austin's hairy ball sack. If on... you want to see some Austin Gooch, give me a hell yeah. Oh yeah. So fuck him and his three podcasts. So um, the, the match that I'm choosing as my number five of the greatest matches of all time because it changed the way that I look at wrestling is the semi-main event. It was Cactus Jack and Raven versus Terry Funk and Tommy Dreamer. It was a tag team match. It was a hardcore match because obviously every match in ECW was a hardcore match. It involved weapons. It involved ridiculous shots to the nuts. It was absolutely amazing. It was the one where, um, if you haven't seen it online or you, you can't get it on the original ECW tapes or anything else, it's on Mick Foley's Greatest Hits and Misses DVD. Um, he chooses it as one of his favourite matches of all time and it was absolutely brilliant. It literally lasts about 14 minutes but it changed the way I looked at professional wrestling because it was the perfect main event for me. It's the one where uh, Mick Foley is wearing the Forgive Me Uncle Eric t-shirt that gets pulled over his head and Tommy Dreamer just beats him until the blood is running through the forehead of this picture of Eric Bischoff that's on the t-shirt. The t-shirt gets ripped off and he's wearing a Dungeon of Doom (laughs) t-shirt. Which the the sight of Kamala and um, Zodiac and Kevin Sullivan on this T-shirt was just perfect. Because at the time it was all insider and you were like, oh, yeah, he's a rebel, you know. And, you know, obviously we now know that they they were doing a trade between each other and everything else. But at the time it was just absolutely amazing. And it's also the one that spawned a catchphrase for me forever. There's a wonderful moment at the beginning of the of it. Uh, Terry Funk is just outstanding in it. When Terry Funk and Tommy Dreamer are in the ring and they they roll out to try and attack them. <coughs> Sorry, uh, uh, Cactus Jack and Raven are in the ring. Terry Funk and uh, Tommy Dreamer roll in. They powder to, to the outside. And there's a wonderful moment, which I will always quote, when <laughs> Cactus picks up the mic on the outside and goes, Terry! <laughs> and that's why Terry. it's my number five. It's brutal. It's just brilliant. And Tommy Dreamer has not had a better match since. I guarantee you. Yeah. You, you, sorry to sorry to dis sorry to dis. It's not even a disagree, but I must say that Mick uh, and Edge versus is uh, it Tommy and who else was it? it? The first main event of the one of uh, one of the one night stands. It was another tag match. It, uh, it was Tommy Dreamer and someone else hmm. versus Mick and Edge. A really good match. Is that um, the one where Beulah got involved as well? That is the one where Beulah got involved. In fact, Beulah Elite had a bit of a cat fight thing. They going. did. Yeah, they yeah. did. But good, but excellent choice, Dave. Well, that, uh, yeah, that's, that's my number five. So, uh, my number four, 
<laughs> is uh, one which won't surprise many people. It's, it's appeared on both Mick Foley's DVDs since. It's appeared on Shawn Michaels' DVDs since. I think Mick Foley said up until the point where uh, Mick had his match with Randy Orton, he regarded it as the greatest match that he ever had in his career. It's a, another tie-in, actually, ironically, with ECW, which was from the Mind Games in Your House, which was Shawn Michaels versus Mankind. Um, that particular event... I remember being very excited about getting it. I remember, again, reading about it in in, in the uh, Power Slam magazine uh, and then getting it on VHS when it came out because after about six months, however long you used to have to wait to get these things. But um, basically uh, at that event, because it was in Philadelphia, um, ECW had some plants in the audience. I believe it was Tommy Dreamer, Paul Heyman, Sandman. Mm-hmm. Um, and during the opening match, which was uh, Savio Vega against Justin Bradshaw, Sandman uh, Sandman. Spat his beer, didn't he? Yeah, spat his beer over Savio. It, they had a bit of a pull apart, and they everyone chanted ECW and blah blah blah. Uh, it was a it was a way of Vince counteracting the fact that everyone had been chanting ECW at every event leading up to that. Because if you're presented with Psycho Sid versus Vader or King Mabel versus Kevin Nash, sorry Diesel, Big Daddy Cool, um, then you're going to chant ECW because, frankly, that's a much more interesting product. There was an underground wrestling movement at that point, which was so exciting and and, and so brilliant. So uh, this was the point where Mankind came away from being uh, chanted Cactus Jack at every time he came out of the, uh, the, the, out the curtain. He was with Paul Bearer. It was for the WWF Championship. And this was the point where, to me... He proved himself and he got the hell of a match of his career because Shawn Michaels worked his ass off. Um, they went through a table on the outside. I was I about to say, Dave. Did beautiful did back it, suplex, wasn't it? It was a back suplex, mm. um, which um, HBK turned into a crossbody. Ah, yes, there we go. So and Mankind the got the arse end of it. was the first I saw in WWE. Mm. It really? It was the first one to mind. You've got to remember, this is 95. No, no. I'm sure no. Bret Hart... Diesel, the Survivor Series, had a table spot. That was the first one I remember. I wouldn't watch a Bret Hart Diesel match. I was, I've was i never been a fan of Kevin Nash. Controversial. You see, I'm and, a fan of Kevin Nash, but I, I find it hard to sit through Bret Hart matches now. And, and Dave, to be more controversial, I'm not that much of a fan of, of Shawn Michaels. I literally rate the match you're talking about now versus mm. uh, Mankind at uh, Mind Games. And, of course, the first Hell in a Cell with The Undertaker. This is Shawn Michaels. Mm. Um, so, but... Totally brilliant match uh, at Mind Games. Uh, very much in agreement with you about that one. Excellent. Okay, so uh, my that yeah, so that's my number four. My number three has sentimental value to it uh, because I remember watching it at the time I was at university and um, I remember getting all that. It's the only time I've ever had what would be quote unquote a WrestleMania party um, and had everyone come around and watch WrestleMania that, that night. And it was uh, it was WrestleMania 18. So 17 for most people is regarded as the greatest WrestleMania of all time. I think 2001 was 17. Safe to say. Uh, yes, that's my, yeah, 2002 was. Austin um, Rock 2 or 3. Uh, 2. Main. Yeah. And it had Triple H versus The Undertaker, uh, which yes. is another really great, great, I totally agree. WrestleMania 17 was, was quality. I had the gimmick back up, Battle Royal as well. So. Which the Iron Sheik won, spoiler. Um, Only because yeah. it couldn't take the bump over the top row. Hey, the um, baby don't need to take the bomb. <laughs> Not without medicine. Um, so for me, uh, I'm going to ignore that and I'm going to go to WrestleMania 18. And 
it's probably controversial in the terms that some people sniff at it and some people go, oh, yeah, 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 it's same old, same old. But my match and the greatest match I've ever seen at WrestleMania was Hogan versus Rock at WrestleMania 18. The reason I say that is because I was never a Hogan fan. Okay. I never enjoyed the 80s Hogan. I, I remember watching, when I first started watching wrestling, I always enjoyed the people who went against Hogan. I was always a Macho Man Randy Savage fan or, you know, whoever. So Hogan for me was, was nothing. I didn't get a chance to watch a lot of WCW. I didn't get a chance to really see what he did once he left WWE. I remember seeing him, obviously, at the King of the Ring versus Yokozuna, and then he just disappeared. I didn't really have anything to do with him. I didn't have cable and stuff, so I couldn't you watch. You never saw Suburban Commando? No. Mm. I did see Suburban Commando, and uh, I do indeed own it on DVD. So, um, <laughs> so for me, Hogan was a bit of a cartoon character who disappeared and didn't really do much. And then, obviously, I caught up with the NWO stuff and this, that, and the other. So, when Hogan came back with Kevin Nash and uh, Scott Hall to do the the uh, the NWO stuff, that was just when I'd got to Sky TV again. This was the exciting moment when I was at uni and I could watch it every week and I saw Vince, you know, call on that cancer to destroy the WWE and turn round with the stupid Tip X. I'm going to kill it! Yeah, Tip X NWR on the back of his chair and all that bullshit. <coughs> so, for me, that was quite exciting and I, at that point, Hogan had stopped being a wrestler and he'd become a complete caricature of who he was and he just did the, the same old shit and that was that was great and i know there's there's a lot been written about what hogan did and whether he did right or wrong to the rock during that match um there's a lot of people who feel that uh he didn't do his part he didn't play the heel he played the face during that match and if you're interesting and you you into your insider terms then you know what i mean by that but for me personally it was the perfect moment it was that wrestlemania moment hogan played the crowd You'll never see a wrestler look at the crowd more, involve the crowd more than Hogan does and has always done. Totally. He, he played his part perfectly. That, that Hogan, like um, a lot of people don't like Hogan, especially uh, a lot of wrestlers within the business. But I don't think that there's been anyone that can work a crowd like Hogan. There's a reason that he is. When you say to people wrestling, yeah. even if they don't know professional wrestling, they go oh, like Hulk Hogan completely to, to this day that's what they use and i just got to say i was so shocked um when they announced that they were bringing the nwo back this is back in 2002 yeah um i honestly in my head i, I was so sure that hogan wasn't involved i thought oh they're bringing back nash and um, Na um nash and scott hall not once did it enter my mind that they'd bring hogan back not like that i thought uh, so when he did actually turn up it was such a shock and you're absolutely right that wrestlemania match um there was no way they were going to let hogan the, the fans wouldn't let hogan out the building without him doing the big face turn and doing all the classic, you know, that is what you want to see from Hogan. You want to see the, the poses, the finger wag, the big boot, the leg drop. And that for me, he did, it encompasses all of those. And because that was the finish, if I remember correctly, was he missed the leg drop and then yeah. got hit with the rock bottom or the people's elbow? He took, yeah, he took two rock bottoms and the people's elbow to defeat him. But yeah. yeah. But just if you want to watch a match, if you, if you are a wrestler or you, you, you're into your wrestling, if you want to watch a match, about crowd control that is the match to watch because <clears throat> it might have been the biggest arena in the world but it just zoomed in and all you could see was that ring the entire place was just fixated and the fact that chris jericho and triple h could not follow it 
speaks wonders. It should have been the main event. I understand why they didn't do it because it didn't have anything to do with the title and everything else. But it, that was the marquee match that night. And they walked away from it with Hogan's stock was through the roof to the point where he then ended up signing on for you know additional stuff. And they ended up putting him back in the red and yellow and gave him another run and gave him the world championship and everything else all came off the back of that. Cause he went, they went to Toronto. I think it was the next night or the night after. And he just got a standing ovation for about 10 minutes to the point where they went to an ad break. Came I remember back it was, was a, still yeah. getting a standing ovation because he came back and people wanted him. And that's the problem now is that he's oversaturated. People don't care. He's on a B-rate show in TNA because he needs the money. There is He has no stock now. I think if that's the first see... mention of TNA in our entire podcast run. Um, <laughs> seriously, I honestly think it is. <laughs> there is another company out there. I just wanted to say before you get off the Hogan match, there's a little moment in the match where they Hogan and The Rock go face to face. Mm. And they're getting in each other's face and they suddenly both realise how loud the crowd's being. And Hogan looks to his left and The Rock looks to his right. It's like, suddenly yeah. like, at the same time. And for oh. some reason, that image is like instant goosebumps. Completely. It's the way they do it simultaneously Completely. as well. There's there's also a podcast fans. Uh, sorry, milksters. Um, there's also a, a little moment during that match where uh, the Rock is on the ropes. Hogan is beating him down and says, uh, "What are you going to do, Meatball? What are you going to do about it, Meatball?" Which is a perfect little uh, side note to Rocky Three because that's what he says to Slice Stallone in Rocky when he's playing Thunderlips at the beginning. So that's another little. Uh, Still the best Rocky toy I think you can buy is the Thunderlips action figure. Absolutely. So that's my number three, Hogan versus The Rock, the greatest WrestleMania moment of all time, as far as I'm concerned. My number two is a match that I loved so much, I wrote a dissertation about it at university. I'm not wow. joking, ladies and gentlemen. Uh, not a dissertation. It was it was part of uh, an, an, an essay that I wrote. Um, okay, so... I hate to do it, but I'm going to involve Triple H in one of my favourite matches of all time. I'm not a big fan of Triple H now or then or whenever. He, he's not someone I get a lot of enjoyment out of. I think He's slightly overrated. Incredibly overrated. I think... So what? You know, he, he's there because of various reasons and everything else. But, um, yeah, yeah. He's part of the family now. There's no is. way... Yeah, no so way we're not going to get rid of him. So... Overall, this match is, um, I think, possibly the greatest singles match of all time. Not giving away my number one, but my number two is my favourite singles match of all time. I've watched it more than any other. I could watch it now and I would still be entertained and intrigued and enjoy it. And it's the main event from the Royal Rumble 2000 between Ooh. Triple H and Cactus Jack. Excellent. Madison excellent, Square Garden. Okay, so I, I I took this match and I broke it down in terms of the violence presented on television uh, as part of a, an essay I did when I did media studies at university. But with, regardless of that, it's just a fucking great match. Everything about it is wonderful. It was also fact fans the first uh pay-per-view to be aired on channel four channel four bought a series of pay-per-views from the wwe took them away from sky this was the first one this match and the incident with may young convinced channel four on that night 
that they were not going to renew their contract in 12 months time. It was such a violent match that they said, no, we cannot show this. We cannot show this kind of thing on television, on free to air television in, in the UK. So Channel 4 hated it. I loved it. It was just perfect. The fact that you have Cactus Jack, this guy who's a deathmatch wrestler, who literally has bled all over the world. He's lost an ear in Germany. He's been blown up on barbed wire. He's had a chainsaw on his arm in Japan and blah, 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 blah. He doesn't bleed. He doesn't bleed in the whole match. It's the, just perfect. Dave, and, and sorry to, uh, to bump in on your list, but you are so right. This match was the match that got me back into wrestling after the slump in the 90s. Yeah. Um, basically... Um, I saw this on Channel 4 that they were going to be showing it. Yeah. So I, I watched a little bit of the promos and it was the Mick Foley. I'm not, you know, mankind. I, I'm not man enough to face you, but I found a replacement. that shirt off. Oh. You might know his name is Cactus Jack. <laughs> Perfect. Yeah, absolutely. And I, I, I still watch, and like you were saying with the Hogan thing, I still watch that promo now and I still get goosebumps on it because when he tears that shirt off, it was just like the reaction that Triple H get. And that's the thing that McFoley said he gave him credit for is that if Triple H had kind of smirked, then it would have killed it dead. But he didn't. He reacted like it was this legend, this guy. Yeah, who was going to just destroy Triple H. And it, people forget, at that point, Triple H was not over. He was not a popular champion. He was not the guy. Everyone just thought, mm, meh, meh. But that match made Triple H. To be fair to Triple H, he did get shanked in the leg mm. during that match. There's a, yeah, a moment where he, he lifts him up. He, uh, he suplexes him, suplexes him onto um, a pallet. And um, there's there's a pallet with a nail sticking out, which jabs right into his uh, his calf. And you, it's one of the more brutal injuries I've ever seen being shown on a, a televised product with WWE. But uh, apart from, uh, yeah, some ladder match, which we're not going to go into because that was uh, that was horrific. But um, oh, was that the one where the guy's face exploded? Joe yeah, Murphy? yeah. Oh, God. Yeah, that was horrid. Yeah, that was hideous. Um Oh, now, now I'm thinking about Sid jumping off the top rope. and Oh, God. Oh, um, Sid's broken leg. No, David. Stick stick to the facts. Cactus okay, Jack. So, uh, Swimsuit competition. Uh, Miss Rumble 2000. Um, so, yeah, uh, without a doubt, the greatest singles match I've ever seen. It, it, it still comes up fresh today. It's one of Mick Foley's greatest matches. I would not place it above the Shawn Michaels one particularly, but I have done here because I think as a as a thing that influenced me to carry on watching wrestling and getting excited about wrestling, you know, it was just brilliant. So that is that's my number two, Triple H versus Cactus Jack Royal Rumble 2000. Check it out. OK, so my number one, which is obviously you're all waiting for as we've dragged Basically this on. Basically the while. breath, Dave. Say again? Bated breath. I, you know what? Your list has been cracking, mate. I'm really looking forward to knowing what the number one is. Okay, so my number one is um, is a bit unusual uh, because it's uh, Boulamont versus no, it's um, oh damn it, <laughs> it's a combination of the individual who won and the man on commentary. There has never been a greater match in my life than the Royal Rumble from 1992. Oh, wow. Flair. The main event, Flair wins. 
It's the normal 30-man rumble. But the man who makes that match is Bobby Heenan. Now, anyone who knows me knows that I'm a massive Bobby Heenan fan. He's a huge influence on me. He's the reason why on my bucket list was to be a wrestling manager at some point in my life, which thanks to my podcast host, uh, I, I managed to do. Um, but this was, without a doubt, and a lot of people agree with me, uh, it was the greatest Royal Rumble match of all. I just said that you were a manager of the British Tag Team Champions... Yes. As well, on a techno, you know. Um, so not only did you reach your bucket list, but you you were on par with uh, with Bobby because he also managed champions just like you, Dave. I would never ever claim to be on par with Bobby Heenan. He was, he was, and is just an incredible man. You know, obviously he's had health issues and stuff in in the past few years, and he's he, you know he's he's not been able to continue doing what he's doing. But in this match, this is the pinnacle of everything that was great about Bobby Heenan in terms of his commentary. He plays off Gorilla Monsoon perfectly. The number of will you stops during this match oh, will you stop? is just incredible. The number of times that he says, I'm just going to go down there and, and gets pulled back by Gorilla Monsoon is wonderful. But if you look at the match itself, it's, it's the perfect example of when I got into wrestling, what I loved. Um, it's, Every single character that you could get as part of the Hasbro uh, figures back in the day. It was it, it, your first two downs to the ring is the Million Dollar Man and the British Bulldog. <laughs> so you've already got those guys in there. Ric Flair's number three. You end up with the Nasty Boys in there, Haku's in there, Young Shawn Michaels, the Barbarian, even people like the Repo Man. You've got Hercules in there. But then it all kicks off because there's a moment where Roddy Piper's in, and the next person in is Jake Roberts, and that's when the Macho Man runs down and tries to attack him. So you've got Jake Roberts, Jim Duggan, IRS, The Undertaker's in there, you know, ignoring Colonel Mustafa. You've got Hulk Hogan, Sergeant Slaughter, The Warlord, Sid Justice, and there's a wonderful three-way at the end where Sid Justice and Hogan are in there, and you can see that sort of WrestleMania main event. And they were building, as far as I'm aware, towards a Ric Flair, Hulk Hogan main event at WrestleMania 8. But main event. That, that that was the, you know, for me and anyone else who's read wrestling magazines, that was what you wanted to see was, was Hogan. But no, at that point, they shit the bed and they put Sid Justice with Hogan. And Sid Justice pulls Hogan over the top rope. Flair wins, gives that wonderful, with a tear in my eye, promo at the end of it. And without a doubt, I, I have watched that match more times than any other match that I've ever seen. Dave, sorry to interrupt. Am I right in thinking that? Do you remember the roundtable recently that got Jim Ross fired? Yes. They were talking about that rest, particular WrestleMania, and yeah. Flair said it should have been Hogan Flair. Come on, uh, Flair Savage, give me a break. Not that he wasn't great, but it should have been that year, WrestleMania 8, should have been Hogan versus Flair for the WWE title, uh, WWF Championship. Sorry. It should have been, uh, but they, they did some test matches on the road and it, they didn't deliver. They, the, the crowd wasn't behind it. They got scared. They got cold feet or whatever, and they didn't go for it. And that's fair enough. But I, part of me wonders whether Hogan doesn't want to work with a wrestler. He'd rather work with a big man because that's what he's used to. Yeah. Um, you know, 
and dare I say it, the matches that Hogan and Flair had in WCW weren't all that. No, they weren't at all. Um, I was very underwhelmed by Hogan's uh, WCW. Kind of, he was meant to come in as the big saviour and... Um, not a lot got delivered until the fateful day at Bash at the Beach when the NWA was uh, NWO was formed. Completely. But yeah, so the Royal Rumble 1992, if you've never seen it, please go on YouTube, look it up. There's, there's actually a version on YouTube where someone has gone back into the match and edited the entrance music for every single person. So it's uh, correct. So you, yeah, so it's all correct. And it, it runs like a current uh, Royal Rumble. You will not get a better one. Never before have you seen that many classic 1990s wrestlers. The fact you've got the Bulldog in there, the Texas Tornadoes in there. Oh, it, like I said, Kerry Von Erich was in there as well. Kerry Von Erich was in there. Yeah, absolutely. This Repo wasn't Man. With, this wasn't the one with Saba Simba in it, was it? No, that was a year before as far as I know. I think that was 1990. Poor old Tony Atlas. Poor, poor old Tony Atlas. Yeah. Barefoot, but then that's how he likes it. Oh, and on that note that ends my top five matches of all time dave really enjoyed your list and uh next week uh we'll be letting jay hodgkin out of the sticky floor fun emporium just what? long enough to let us know his top five wrestling matches of uh... all time right and uh this week um from the from the man that brought you the Sticky Floor Fun Emporium, we have a new piece by Jay Hodgkin uh, looking into the origin of the secondary characters in movies and TVs that haven't really had a proper backstory fleshed out. So join us now as uh, we go with Jay Hodgkin and learn about some background bollocks. Hardcore Star Wars fans will know of two things above all others, Intense Loneliness and Wikipedia. Wikipedia has pages of detail on the most obscure background Star Wars characters. But what about other films? Why don't we flesh out their secondary characters, but not using expanded universe material approved by the creators? Oh no, we shall use our own imaginations and ruddy lies. First up, The Grail Knight from Indiana Jones and The Last Crusade. Born in 11th century Gaul, the Grail Knight was one of three sons to a orangutan farmer and his ruddy-cheeked wife. Unfortunately, Europeans in 1066 were unfamiliar with African orangutans and presumed they were the product of witchcraft, sentencing the Grail Knight's father to death by fire. They probably would have let him off had he not tried to sell his townsfolk the milk of the great ape. It tastes at best completely shitty. His mother soldiered on boldly for a few more years. Unfortunately, she ultimately died of consumption, which was really fashionable at the time, and she was such a bloody hipster. After both parents died, the Grail Knight and his two brothers decided to become Knights of the First Crusade, partly to discover the Holy Grail, and partly because oppressing people with darker skin is just something white people seem to historically enjoy. The Grail Knight also wanted to find a dragon to fight, and couldn't seem to find any in Europe. Failing that, he decided he would make do with punching a salamander to death, as that's close enough, right? And so the Grail Knight and his brothers searched the Holy Land far and wide, and found the coveted Holy Grail in the Temple of the Sun. I would have looked there first, personally. It sounds about right, doesn't it? The Grail Knight's brothers chose their sibling to remain at the temple. Now, while they told him he was the bravest and most worthy, 
It was because he occasionally quoted lines from the third series of Little Britain. Now, just imagine that at the time. They didn't even know what the fuck he was going on about. And so the Grail Knight waited and guarded the Temple of the Sun and its contents, the Holy Grail, for 800 years. He survived by ordering Domino's Pizza, which he didn't have to pay for as the delivery guys often didn't know what penitent meant, and got slaughtered by those pendulous blades at the entrance to the temple. The ones that did know the meaning of the word penitent didn't do that role that Indiana Jones inexplicably does in the film. But hey, whatever. Free pizza. Yes! To pass the time, the Grail Knight immersed himself in both manuscripts written by friars and the Bible. He found himself closer to God doing this. He also pleasured himself into Kleenex a lot. He threw the used tissues off the side of the path of God Canyon. If Indiana Jones had failed this test and fallen from the Invisible Bridge in 1938, he would have no doubt safely landed on approximately 482 million used jizz rags. For shits and giggles, he once wanked himself off into the Grail itself, which made a Jesus. After Indiana Jones and his party had left the Temple of the Sun destroyed, with the Grail lost finally forever, the Grail Knight free of his duties and left behind his home of 800 years. He currently works at the Wild Bean Cafe in Leamington Spa and answers to the name of Reuben Shaftmaster. That's it for today. Thank you for listening and taking part in this wonderful experiment to build up the backstories of characters that have been long forgotten about. Thank you, children. Thank you, one and all. There we go. That was episode four. Uh, Hopefully you've stuck with us till the end. It's been a bit of a bumper one to make up for the fact that uh, we weren't here last week. So next week we've got, uh, obviously we've already agreed we're doing a discussion about He-Man, but the big news is that we have a special guest star. Yes, we're doing an Aral threesome. Uh, Myself, Boulamont and Dino Peppers chit-chatting away. Uh, We'll get Dino's uh, top five wrestling matches of all time. We'll get Jay's top five wrestling matches of all time. And we'll just have a big old chit chat about anything that tickles our pickle as someone much more entertaining than me once said so thank you to dino thank you to john sands for the music thank you to jay hodgkin for his input and obviously thank you boo thank you mr davis it's been a pleasure as always guys keep up at facebook.com forward slash milking it and of course on twitter at teetugger so from myself and mr david davis we want to thank you for joining us here at milking it and we will see you next week many thanks you wanna milk it and you know you gotta milk it and you know